Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. This morning, we're going to continue in Ephesians, like it's our last chapter in Ephesians, but we're starting a whole new series, so it's kind of a funny way to do that, Um, but it was um, definitely how God allowed it to work itself out. So hopefully you were able to read Ephesians 6 this week, but if not, that's all right. We're going to read a part of it this morning as we look at our study, but I encourage you to read each week what's coming up next, and um, this coming week it's going to be out of Matthew 26. I'll make sure you know that before we close out this morning. But um, anyway, so we're going to switch things up. You're going to hear the talk this morning first, and then we're going to kind of have a discussion around that. Um, then you're going to hear a testimony just affirming um, what God has to say to us, and then we're going to respond to that this morning, hopefully for not just this morning, but for your life and for this week. So uh, most of us know that as we're human, like in our humanness, when kind of left to ourselves um, and we try to do things in our own strength, that that doesn't necessarily work itself out very well, right? That we've experienced life enough to know that as much as we'd like to think, you know, on my own, I'm just a good person, or on my own, I have enough strength to fight this thing, or a lot of the times we hear, you know, ideologies that pop up in our culture, like pulling yourself by, up by your own bootstraps and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't always really work itself out very well. There's a degree to which we can do that sort of a thing, but it doesn't always work itself out that well, especially like in our private lives. And if we're honest, in the midst of trying to do that, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves and with others, a lot of the times we're functioning in a place either of insecurity or of pride, like these two extremes to a sense, but they're both the same issue when we boil it down. So a lot of the times, if, if we're honest, many of us struggle with insecurity, where we're um, lacking confidence, where maybe we're overcome with shame or guilt or those kind of feelings, and so we don't always push through or step up or do what we know we feel like we're supposed to do because that insecurity is driving us, right? Or the opposite end of the spectrum, but the same kind of struggle is this issue of pride, where sometimes if you find yourself struggling with pride, you're overconfident, like you're just overconfident in who you are, or you're faking a confidence because of your desire to, you know, pridefully put on a show, make sure everyone thinks you at least have it together, even though you don't, and so you fake an overconfidence. But the issue on both of these ends, um, whether it's struggling with insecurity or struggling with pride, is that you find yourself not dealing in reality, that you find yourself not actually able to address the difficulties or even the successes of life, but the reality of life, because you're struggling either with the deep sense of insecurity, so it's kind of keeping you from stepping into those things and dealing with those things, or that pridefulness, which is masking it, right? You're not dealing with it because either you pretend it doesn't exist or you really don't actually see it. You can't even see the stuff that you need to deal with because you're so overconfident in your abilities or who you are or whatever, right? And so we see culturally we, um, we struggle with these two things greatly, either this insecurity or this pride or most of the time both of those things, 
like we swing between the two. We find ourselves as humans swinging between being overly prideful or confident or faking that we have it together and then overly insecure and unable to motivate ourselves to fight through whatever it is or to work through the difficulty or to handle the success in a correct way, right? So we find ourselves, we all probably have experienced these things in our life, either one or the other or both, where we struggle with how do we find ourselves living out this person God's created us to be. We see in Scripture that God teaches that, um, that if we're going to be who we were meant to be, who we were created to be and designed to be, that we have to find ourselves fully dependent on God. And so in this series we're doing, Relent, um, we're going to be talking about Lent and some of the um, focuses of this season leading up to Easter, but we're also doing a play on words where we're talking about relenting, like giving ourselves fully over to what God has for us. And so this morning, the focus of this scripture in Ephesians 6 that we're going to be reading is that God is calling us to rely completely on His Spirit. And so we're going to say this phrase together, rely completely on God's Spirit. Will you say that with me? Rely completely on God's Spirit. That's the, the truth of this scripture for us today and, and what we're going to see, the truth that necessitates our ability to live into the person we're called to be in the midst of our insecurity or in the midst of our pridefulness. When we acknowledge our human condition, right, our struggle and who we really are, and our need for help, for spiritual, supernatural, divine help, for God to intervene in our life in the midst of what we're going through, that then gives us the opportunity. When we admit that need, it actually gives us the opportunity to have faith in a God who can overcome all things, who can overcome everything we face in life, and who can transform us into the person he's designed us to be. But it requires us acknowledging our human condition, our humanness, our limitedness, and then God's unlimitedness, and how we must learn to depend on him. So Ephesians 6 um, really gets into this. Remember, this is a letter Paul's writing from jail to the diverse group of people in Ephesus, and he's addressing first and foremost how the gospel works itself out in the world, how it transforms us, and then it transforms our community, those around us. And we become this diverse picture, this different people with different stories and different backgrounds all coming together for the same reason, right? And it creates this amazing beauty of who God is and how he forms us into the people he desires us to be, right? So Paul's addressing this throughout his letter. And as he gets to the end of the letter, he starts to address some very practical realities, relationships between parent and child, between uh, a married couple, between um, a workplace relationship. So he addresses some practical things, and then he addresses some very deep spiritual things, of saying the only way it works itself out, where we will become who we're meant to be, not just individually, but as a group, will become the beautiful multi-ethnic picture of God's people, which is what we discussed last month, is through the deep spiritual reality transforming us into who we're supposed to be in a deep dependence on God. And so this is how he finishes out this letter in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. He's finishing out this letter 
to the Christians at Ephesus, and then, of course, it has something for us today. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain the God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words spoken through the scriptures here to us. And we ask that you would implant within us a deep desire to relent, to give up, to give up, to give in to your plan for our lives, to become um, the people individually and together that you're calling us to be. And it's in the name of Christ we pray all things. Amen. So do you see how this passage teaches this truth that we must rely completely on God's Spirit. Say that again with me. Rely completely on God's Spirit. That is the truth of this passage. It gets into these details about the armor of God, right? And it's usually a fun passage to teach kids because you get to get really practical with the imagery of what's the shield and what's the um, helmet and all this sort of thing, right? But he's using this metaphorical language of Roman body armor. He's describing a Roman centurion, which would have been the, you know, the end-all, be-all of their day of a warrior, right? Where these Roman centurions, and he's describing their garb, which, by the way, the Jews would have hated, ironically enough, right? The Jews hated the Romans, especially the people who oppressed him, which were the centurions. They were the ones who enforced the laws, right? So he's using it as a positive. He's using a negative thing in their mind and now comparing it to the armor of the presence of God in their lives. And he actually tells them, be strong in the Lord. Now that's not, as Americans, in our sensibility, we read that almost as if, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's how we read it, be strong in the Lord. And he's, that's not how this is meant. It's meant, you aren't able to do this, but God is. So put yourself into the presence of God so that you will be strong. It's not a, okay, the Lord is with you, so you muster up enough strength to fight against the devil. No, that's like, hey God, I'm doing this, now I'm going to come to you in prayer, will you bless it? As opposed to, okay God, what do you want me to do? Right? Those are two different versions of following God's will. One is, okay God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What decision do you want me to make? The other is, I'm going to go ahead and make this decision, God, and then I'm going to need you to come around and bless it for me. Well, it's the same idea with, 
I need to muster up enough spiritual strength because I'm a child of God to fight the devil. That's completely incorrect theology. It gets taught all the time, but it's a completely incorrect understanding of how this whole thing works, right? This thing actually works with, I can't do this without God's presence enveloping me as if it's armor. I can't do this thing called life without being surrounded by God's presence. I can't handle the difficulty of sin, the difficulty of broken relationships, all of the mess that I create in my own life. I can't do it. I can't be strong enough without the power of God, which is humbling for both the person who's prideful, who thinks they can, and now Scripture's revealing, no, you can't. Your humanness is not enough. You need something supernatural but it's also humbling for the person who deals with insecurity because what it's telling you is you can overcome the difficulties in your life. I mean, he says this as if it's a reality, not a hope. He says, resist the devil, point blank. Stand firm, stand your ground. He doesn't say it as if it's a hope or a wish or like maybe you'll be able to defeat Satan. No, he says, if you will allow God to envelop you, the very presence of God to overcome you and to surround you, then you will, the result is the overcoming of Satan. That's a bold declaration. And it's a bold declaration that only comes true when God gets involved in our life, right? And then he follows that up at the end by saying, and pray in the Spirit. Again, it's a reiteration of be surrounded by God's presence, the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Fully depend completely rely on God's Spirit because it's God's Spirit that will then produce the boldness in you that he describes, right? He's in chains, being deprived of food and any... I mean, the Roman prisons were horrendous, y'all. They weren't three squirrel meals a day and TV and working out like we have. I mean, they were horrendous places to be in. And he says, and I'm in chains, still preaching the good news that Jews and Gentiles can both come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm still being bold, but he says it only comes from the Spirit, so pray for me. Pray for that boldness of Spirit. So, So Paul is describing what God's teaching us here. The surrounding of us with his presence produces these results of being able to resist Satan and evil and overcome sin in our lives and in the world, and it produces this result of boldness that comes from nowhere. It shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be a sense of boldness when I'm in prison, if I'm Paul. There should be a sense of, I'm in prison, like I'm going to die for this thing. And instead, it's as if it doesn't even matter. Okay, I'm in chains. I can still preach the gospel, right? So it's this incredible sense of God's overwhelming presence that then begins to define and transform us into the people we were always meant to be, into the people God actually designed us and created us to be as his co-workers in this world in the garden, but that we've, we've ended up not being because of the work of sin and evil in this world, in this work of sin and evil that has been overcoming us. But now we have the opportunity through Christ with his Spirit to do the opposite, to overcome the evil that has been overcoming humanity, right? Jesus changed everything by doing what he did. And so now we have the the opportunity for the reverse results in our life. Not sin overcoming us, but us overcoming sin. Not us being fearful of what might happen as we 
go against evil in this world and begin to preach against it and share the gospel because it might hurt us. No, instead we have this boldness that no matter whether it comes against me or not, it doesn't matter because it actually can't touch me, right? What does Jesus tell his disciples? They may try to hurt you physically, but they can't do anything to you spiritually, right? Remember, they, you, they may throw you in prison. They may, no, one's, no servant is greater than his master, so this world might try to do things to you like they did to me, but even though they killed me, they didn't kill me. I rose again. And even though they'll try to kill you, they won't kill you. They can't actually touch you, the core of who you are, if you're surrounded by my presence. I find myself in the same place y'all do, right? We each find ourselves in the same place of struggling with insecurity or pride or both throughout our life. We find ourselves struggling with, okay, I have this thing in my life that I feel like has control over me. That's, that, that was, that's what it feels like. But that's false. It's not real. When I've placed my faith in Christ and I have access to the power of God through His Holy Spirit because of Jesus, it's actually not a reality that that thing has control over me. I've convinced myself that it is. And my experience so far up into my life as I've been struggling with whatever it is tells me that that's true. But God says, no, it's not. No, it's actually not true. If you will allow my presence to overwhelm you and overcome you and envelop you and transform you, and you'll allow my spirit to go to battle for you, you'll actually use my presence as a weapon in this world, it's not true that that thing has control over you. And, and I have to remind myself of that. Whether it's because of my own insecurity of feeling like, man, this thing owns me, there's nothing I can do about it, if people, you know, that shame of like, if people only knew that this thing or these things, or I react this way in this situation, that they would feel ashamed as well of me. And actually, it's not true at all, right? We find that the history of God's people is that as darkness is, is as light is brought into darkness, as sin is brought into the light, as whatever it is we're struggling against is actually brought out in front so that it can actually be fought instead of hiding it, that the opposite is true. That once you get past all the uncomfortableness of having to admit the mess that's in your life, the Spirit can actually do the work He needs to do in your life to overcome that thing when it's brought into the light. But we get so caught up in either our insecurity, I'm not wanting to deal with it, or our pridefulness of trying to pretend like it doesn't exist and I'll just keep acting like it doesn't, I'll put on a show, or enough pridefulness that I don't even know it's there. And people keep trying to tell me, right? But I don't even hear them. I just keep going through life as if it doesn't exist. And it does. That thing clearly does. Those attributes of sinful behavior clearly do exist, but I'm just not listening. I'm not taking the time to listen. Then we find ourselves stuck when we shouldn't. We should find ourselves in a place of fully relying on God, who then empowers us to overcome those things in our life. Say that phrase again with me this morning. Rely completely on God's Spirit. Say that with me. Rely completely on God's Spirit. And when I do that in my life, I see the transformation that I long for. I see the results that I can't produce, that only He can produce. I see things in my life being able to be overcome. 
in a way that I can't on my own, that only through the power of God in my life, and especially the power of God in my life with others surrounding me, going to bat for me, fighting alongside me, does it work itself out, right? You got to think about that from the Roman centurion analogy again. Centurions didn't go into battle by themselves. They weren't, they weren't dumb. They didn't try to fight the battle against an enemy that they had lost against for their entire lives. Think about that. By themselves. They would go with other centurions, with other warriors, and they would fight that enemy, right? And so Paul's using this analogy on purpose. He's saying not only do we need to clothe ourselves individually with the presence of God, but we better have a regiment with us, a group of people with us, other warriors with us that are also clothing themselves with the presence of God that we might find victory and overcome the things in this world. When I find myself actually relying on God's Spirit, I begin to see relationships in my life working themselves out differently than when I'm not. I begin to see sins in my life that I used to think were more powerful than they actually are now being put in their place by God, right? There's still struggles. The temptations don't go away. That doesn't change. My ability to handle the temptations does because of God's presence in my life, right? And then I begin to see even the, just the evils in this world that we can all point to, all of the horrendous evils that seem overwhelming. I begin to see those through new eyes that actually it becomes, wait a minute, no, because the power of God in me, he who is in me is greater than any of the evil that's in the world. So why should I believe that just because that evil exists that it has to exist? No, instead I now believe that me along with the people of God can overcome these things, can overcome the racism and the slavery and the name it, whatever it is, right? The greed, all of the evils that you can point to in the world, God's people have within us the capability to overcome, but we don't access it because we don't put on the presence of God. There's this incredible imagery, and I've been not doing it since the beginning of the year, even though we did it in the fall, this incredible imagery in the tradition of the church to light a candle when God's people would gather for worship. And the imagery is that powerful imagery of light piercing the darkness, right? That powerful imagery of the darkness of the world, the darkness of my life potentially, and that piercing light that overcomes it. Because when there's darkness you can't see, when there's darkness you can't even see your enemy to fight them, right? All that sort of thing. But when there's light, you can see now. You can now understand. And the imagery is powerful because it reminds us, not just when we gather as God's people, it's all the time, but it's a reminder of God's presence. That this is how God's presence works in my life as this powerful source of light that I'll begin to see the things in my life as I should see them because I can see them when the light is sh sh shown on them and, and that I can bring my stuff, who I am, out into the light. And by doing that, God can actually deal with it and overcome it. So this morning, and from here on out, for the rest of the gathering of our time together, um, unless I forget, or, because I am human still, or uh, something happens to us, you'll see a candle lit every week, every time we gather officially as God's people in some sort of official gathering, we'll be reminded of the presence of God, right? And if you've ever been a part of any sort of 
what's called a liturgical or traditional church. You've seen this, right? You've seen someone walk in with a flame and light a candle. Why? Because, not because they believe that only during the gathering of God's people is God present. No. Not because they believe, oh, I'm bringing God's presence in. No, God's presence was already there. Those, those are not correct thoughts. It's an acknowledgement of God's presence. It's saying God's presence was already here. God's presence was with me all week and will be with me all week. I'm just saying, no, I'm staking my claim on God's presence now. I'm acknowledging the fullness of God's presence is around us and is transforming us. And this transformation in our local kind of expression of church, who we're going to be, we're talking about through the language of made new. You've maybe already seen it on some documents or if you've seen social media posts, I hashtag one more made new. This is kind of the core identity of who we're going to be. That we're longing to see ourselves and others transformed, completely transformed and made new. That's from start to finish. That's from I went from not believing to believing. That's a step on the path of being made new, right? But that's also from I've believed for a long time, but I still don't look like Jesus. And yet I know that's my calling. That's my trajectory. That's where I'm supposed to be headed. And so I'm asking God to pour out his spirit on me again and again and again and again so that he can, like a river walk, river, river rock, the water will rush over me and eventually I'll become this smooth rock where I used to have jagged edges. That I'll, I'll bec- just over time and time again, the spirit of God will envelop me and he'll transform me little by little by little. I'll become more loving and patient and kind. All these things we read about right in scripture that we say, it seems so unattainable. It is. It is through the power of God in our lives. Yeah, it's not attainable if you're left to yourself. If you try to muster up enough strength on your own, it ain't going to happen. But as the full presence of God overwhelms us and, and begins to transform us, we can head that direction. That, that the ability to begin to love like Jesus is possible if the Spirit of God will awaken us to who we are actually supposed to be in this world. So the question this morning that we'll wrestle with throughout the rest of our time together, but then we'll even spend a little bit of time discussing, is have we experienced the fullness of God's presence? Have we experienced God and His presence in my life enough to start changing me, to start transforming me? Maybe at least once. If you haven't, then that's a good place to start. I haven't. I've never experienced the presence of God to even cause me to want to change. Well, that's the first step, right? That's the first step. Most people talk about it as conversion or salvation or whatever, right? We have names for these things for some reason, but that's the first step. But it might be where you say, I haven't experienced God's presence in a while now or just in a short time, but I haven't been changed or transformed by God recently, and I need to experience God's presence in that way in my life. I need that. I need His presence. I need His Spirit. I need to be depending on him i need to be able to see this issue in my life overcome or this relationship in my life healed or i'm longing to see this person of my life come out of the darkness they're experiencing and the only way that can happen is through the faith that's created by god's presence showing up in my life in a supernatural transformative way that's the only way the only way is for me to get out of my comfort zone to get out of my own way, to stop worrying about other people and what they're thinking and allow God to determine how I'm going to think 
and who I'm going to be, right? So that's the shift that has to begin to happen in our lives. And this morning, we're going to focus more on that. How do we allow the very presence of God not just to inhabit this place, but to inhabit us and to transform us? Mm-hmm.